Welcome to Unbooking the Territory Season 2, where we look at the first and lasts, the beginnings and ends, the alphas and omegas of professional wrestling. From the land of 10,000 lakes, Minneapolis, Minnesota, the mall of America, the only building big enough to hold the debut edition of WCW Monday Nitro. We are coming to you live here on TNT. Hello, everybody. Along with the newest member of the WCW broadcast team. Hey, you made it to the big leagues, buddy. Listen, Steve and Michael. Look at this venue here. This place is apropos, and that don't mean you're digging around in the dirt with farm implements, baby. This means this is a championship place to showcase championship athletes. I'm your host, Dan Griffin, joined as ever by the concupiscent UTT Rob. Rob, how are you, mate? I think you're an intro repeater there, Dan. I'm sure we've had that one before. You can't have done. I've only looked, I only looked it up this afternoon. Well, you said it was concupiscible. I don't know if that's the same as concupiscent. No, no, they they mean very different things. Uh, concupiscible means you are uh, a, a drink enthusiast, and concupiscent means that you're just a bit horny. <laughs> Is that to do with the drink? Is that... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a like banana man, but with beer instead of bananas. <laughs> I wondered what you were going to compare banana man to then. <laughs> really, really overselling yourself. You might have heard a cheeky little giggle in the background. That's our our guest for this week. Uh, we've got a man of mystery. Uh, it's unknown on the internet where he resides. Is it a palatial estate or does he just live in a well? It's Millwall Chris. How are you, buddy? <laughs> Good, good, thank you. Nice to be here. Well, judging by the lack of echo, you're not in the well today, so I take it you've moved to the uh, the west or the east wing. Yeah, yeah, I, I found one of the, 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 the smaller areas of the, of the Slacial Palace, so that's where I'm just going just gonna to tuck myself today, away from the servants. <laughs> well, they can be bothersome, can't they? Yeah. I don't know why I'm all of a sudden going along with the, uh, with the, the Rob's theory that I've got a palatial estate. <laughs> You're the, you're the one that said there were no pheasants for the peasants. Yeah. <laughs> Only because it rhymed. <laughs> oh, dear. So before we get to uh, this week's topic, uh, which will be uh, we're looking at the very first episode of Nitro, uh, going back to our roots, sort of, we set you some homework, Chris. Uh, most uh, podcasts ask, did you? you know, how did you get into... <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> if, 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 you, if, if, if you read Rob's essay, we did. Yeah, I definitely did. Yeah, I definitely read it. Yeah. Uh, most podcasts ask, you know, how you got into wrestling, what is your first match, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we're genetic freaks and we're not normal, so we asked you to uh, to rank in order of importance: uh, storyline, presentation, promos, uh, in-ring action, and fan response, and see which is most important to you when you watch wrestling. Yeah. Well, I started with storyline. I think I need to be interested in whatever I'm watching. So even if it turns out not to be very good, I still need to have a reason to actually watch it. So I started with storyline. Then I went in ring because that's why we're watching, really. So yeah. I think that was my, that was the next one. Then followed by presentation. Mm-hmm. Then I was I was torn between the last two on which way around to have them, fan reaction or promos. I actually wrote fan reaction first, but I'm going to change that because I think the fan reaction doesn't really affect me that much. I'll I'll watch a match 
whether I like it or doesn't matter if somebody else likes it. I mean, many people have said to me what uh, that they enjoy a match and probably haven't. So I think I'd go with promos first. Sorry, promo then fourth, and then fan reaction last. Yeah, I completely understand all of that. That's um, I think that's fairly similar to uh, to how to how I rank them. I know I had storyline first and uh, fan response last because, as I've said many times, I'm just a, a grumpy old man who wants to be sat in a chair and told a story, and I don't give a shit whether anybody else likes it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, and I think there's so many different storylines within wrestling anyway. So, I mean, as they say, it's a bit of a buffet in it. So. I think I've got to have a reason to watch. I can't, to a degree, it's why I found it hard to sort of watch. But I've never really watched much NXT, original mm. or even 2.0. One, a time aspect. Two, I need to know. I've watched like occasional sort of like the War Games matches or something like that, where it's it's easy just to know the storyline. I mean, or you can sit and you can just watch it. But um, same with even AEW. I've, I've watched bits and pieces. I think probably originally I only turned that on just to for a bit of nostalgia and hear Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone. Yeah. And then, yeah. then CM Punk turns up or somebody turns up. And as long as I've got a reason just to, to watch and I can enjoy it. I think I watched one of their, what's the Wednesday night show, is it? Dynamite. I'm not even sure what it's called. Yeah. AEW's one. I watched that the other, the other week. Um, I think when... Um, Oh, who debuted? <laughs> who turned up on the Wednesday the other week? Oh, what's his name? Keith Lee. Yeah, Keith Lee. So I watched that. I watched that whole sort of show. And I thought it was quite good. I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. But I just wonder for them, where does it, where does it stop with them? I mean, I, I know some people say it seems too much for a weekly show to watch. You think this is almost like could be a, like a pay-per-view or a bigger, like a bigger event. There's always, and at some point you've got to stop producing somebody new every couple of weeks you're going to run out of people and yeah, yeah. I mean it must be hard I, I, you mean don't get me wrong I couldn't run a federation but <laughs> it just seems like they they're almost trying to one-up themselves every week yeah they do seem to love the um new arrival thing don't they they like promoting a surprise and you know, when Tony Khan realised he promoted Keith Lee as a forbidden door person and then he wasn't, <laughs> and then, they, you know, let's just, you know, shoehorn um, Jay White in. But yeah. uh, this week on Dynamite, Keith Lee said that uh, he, he cut this promo about how the crowd had been anticipating his uh, debut. And I thought, you're introduced as the mystery man. No one was anticipating his <laughs> debut. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and if people know you're coming, it's not... I mean, there's always speculation to me. And I've got to be honest, I know obviously they had Jay White sort of with his little bit. And um, I have to sort of go, I, I didn't even, if they hadn't said it was Jay White, I wouldn't have had no idea who he was. <laughs> <laughs> Which is more a slur on me than it is on Jay White. I get that. But yeah, I mean, obviously Keith Lee's Keith Lee. And you just, well, I suppose because I've seen him before, I haven't really seen Jay White before. So that, that tells you a lot about my um, in-depth knowledge of more five, ten years of wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Just no, give me a sting for a hundredth time and I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not so much uh, in 2022. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, definitely not. No, no. It was, it was, it was ropey enough in, uh, when was it, about 2012, TNA? Yeah. Yeah, that was bad enough. But, uh, 
But speaking of uh, speaking of Flair and Sting, that ties in nicely to uh, to this week's topic. As I said, we were going to look at uh, we're going to look at the uh, the very first episode of Nitro. But uh, first of all, is uh, is anybody drinking, Chris? I want a Camden Hills Lager from the Camden Town Brewery. If I know what percentage it is, uh, about five percent, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. By look of things, yeah, I've got a large one of them, and then I've got some. Brewdog Punk IPAs as well, just to the side, just in case I feel like a heavy Tuesday night drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It should be mentioned we are we are recording on a uh, uh, on a, on a school night, so it's uh... yeah, it's, it's definitely a school night in more ways than one. Yeah. <laughs> what are you on, Rob? Well, I've gone back to uh, favourite of the podcast Tartarus beers, and I've got. Quillin, which is one of their lower percentage beers. It's a 4.5% New England purple ale. Ooh, purple. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a bit difficult to see sort of in the dark, but in, when you've got it up to the light, it is quite purple. Um, no, I, could, I could see it on the camera there, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's quite interesting. And when I was pouring it out, because uh, I thought it was a pale ale, not a purple ale, I'm pouring it out of the bottle and I'm thinking... <laughs> Mm, might have missed on this one. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, know, thought, you thought it was like that uh, that creator landlady you dropped off at mine that I ended up drinking for six weeks. Yeah, so uh, it's been a very pleasant surprise <laughs> off the back of that one. So again, it's another highly rated one. And um, if you log on to tartarusbeers.co.uk and put in the promo code UTT Podcast fifteen, you can get fifteen percent off orders. You can indeed, and the, uh, the the Tartarus beer fairies visited you today, Rob, didn't they? They did indeed, yeah. I've got a, uh, a big order in, so I'll be drinking those on, on future episodes, but uh, uh, I'll spread that out. So next I'm going to go on to uh, Profanity Stout, which uh, sounds like a former <laughs> um, Bang Bang podcast yeah. <laughs> host. Yeah. Um, it's seven uh, percent stout, so maybe it's only half a on the Bang Bang podcast. <laughs> I, didn't, I, say, I didn't realize Steve had a double-barreled surname. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's from uh, William Brothers Brewing, and then after that, I have a Street Life Pale Ale uh, from El Dorado, and I think that's LBF Brewing, and that is four point two percent. Very nice. I'm also on the Tartarus, as you'd expect. Still making my way through the first order, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, I got a bit carried away with, <laughs> with how much I ordered. Uh, I'm on the King Arthur English Barley Wine. Uh, it's 13.2%, so I've said, uh, I've said fuck it to the, uh, to the fact it's a school night, at least for my first one. <laughs> and then up next, I've got Old Red Eye Stout, which is a coffee stout from Two Old Brewery. Uh, I can't find the percentage on that one. No, it's only 5%. It's a sensible one. I think and then I'd last, die uh, if I drank out of thirteen percent. Have you never drank? Have you never drank wine before or sort of spirits? No, can't stand. Oh, I suppose I drank spirits, yeah, but yeah, no. I just <laughs> usually drink. It's, it's terrible. Steve at Bang Bang, we've had a field day. Me, I just drink lager. <laughs> to be honest, there's nothing wrong with that. On occasion, yeah. I, I, other night I was sat there thinking, I don't fancy any of the beers I've got in the fridge. Yeah, shall I just nip up to the shop for a? You know, for like a ten packer, <laughs> <laughs> so, just a, just a cheeky ten. Well, that was yeah. that would that would have been to last me two nights. Oh, that's, oh, that's all right. That's maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, then my, my last one, I've got a, a beer called Out of the Woods, which is a Black Forest Gatto Stout from Brew Tune uh, at six and a half percent. 
So that'll do nicely. Uh, and while we're on the uh, on the subject of drink, we best uh, pull our sommelier routine. So throw it back and be the uh, the virtual Reginald when he's not uh, not pissing about in the twenty four seven division, uh, and recommend something uh, recommend something to drink with the first episode of Nitro. So Chris, what would you recommend? Well, I've watched this episode three times <laughs> since we decided to do this episode, and um, I suppose the first time I actually watched it, I um, I didn't have a single drink. I just decided to watch it, and I realised I'd never seen it before in its entirety. And bearing in mind it's only an hour long, I was a bit surprised. But um, the second time, I I was actually drinking some um, Colonel Pow Ow which is from a, a local brewery just around the corner, actually, from me. So, yeah, it's about 5.5%. Yeah, very nice. I, I, think, uh, I think I know Colonel Brewery. I've had a, I've had a few of their beers. Yeah. yeah. Good yeah, stuff. They do a few different ones. They do a few, um, an Indian powwow and a few other, and they do a lager. So, yeah, I only actually sort of discovered that, even though it literally is about 10 minutes from me, um, when actually one of the parents... Um, I think one Christmas or one summer when their kids were leaving, uh, bought me a couple of beers. So um, yeah, it's a nice little, nice little tipple. Oh, nice car, wrong. Rob, what would you recommend? I'm going to go for the Night Train, which is a 6.1% sweet stout. It's uh, Wickwall Wessex Brewery and uh, Buckham Brewery Collab. Uh, it's one that I've given four out of five to on Untapped. And I've gone for a really tenuous link because Scott Norton's on this show <laughs> and he's soon going to be tagging with Ice Train. <laughs> <laughs> now, that, now that is a reference. I like that. I've gone for a far less subtle tie uh, because I've, uh, this is Nitro. So I've, I'd recommend the Nitro Empress Tom Cocoa from Brew York. It's a Tonka bean, vanilla, coconut and cacao imperial milk stout at 10.6%. I gave it four and a quarter and untapped because Brew York and Tom Cocoa just don't, just don't, you can't go wrong. It's bloody lovely. Just, uh, just tread lightly. <laughs> when drinking it, it's, uh, I don't know whether it was that one or the other uh, the other high percentage stouts that I drank that night, but I was bollocks. <laughs> it's always one though that does it, isn't it? It only takes one pint to get me drunk. Yeah. I just I just don't know if it's the ninth or tenth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's always one bad beer in there. Yeah, it's it's the dirty glass. It's not the beer. Ah, yeah. I might have to use that one now. <laughs> does Beth have a beer for us, Rob? She does. Our best beer of the week is Nougat A Friend In Me by Brew York, because I'm a sucker for marketing. Best beer of the week there. I think there's been um, some more uh, telepathy between the uh, pair of you, because she's gone for another Brew York. It's uh, Nougat A Friend In Me, which is a 6.6% pastry sale. It's a collab with Guelo Beer, and she was excited about this one, because uh, it's got Guelo Beer's a Hong Kong-based brewery, although she didn't like it too much. She gave it two out of five. <laughs> on I'm pretty sure I rated that much higher. You gave it a three. I've given it 4.25. I think I was stingy on that one, thinking back, actually. Oh, well. I've just been drunk already by that point. <laughs> so, as we've as I mentioned a few times, we're looking at the uh, the first episode of Nitro today. It was broadcast live on the 4th of September 1995 from the Mall of America in Bloomington, Minnesota. Which, uh, unlike Sign Nitro Nights, I know is not in the somewhere in the deep south of America. Um, <laughs> that was. <laughs> yeah. 
Do go and listen to Nitro Nights where uh, Cy and Scottish Danny are, uh, are going through uh, show by show through WCW, the poor bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Shockingly, it's the only wrestling event uh, to be held in the Mall of America. But on the 27th of September 2021, the Mall of America official Twitter account responded to a fan tweeting that AEW should run there, saying that they were all for it. So while it was the first and only, it may not be the last. No official attendance as far as I could find because they're in a mall. So you can people can just rock up and, uh, and have a gander. It was obvious that there were people going up and down the escalators just to watch it because they hadn't got like a place. <laughs> that, that would be me. <laughs> Arrive late and then get motion sickness going up and down the escalators all night. <laughs> I've ridden up and down the same escalator 17 times. I'm going to fall over. Yeah. <laughs> so this show was uh, obviously the essentially the start of the Monday Night Wars and came about when in a meeting with uh, Ted Turner, Turner asked how WCW could compete with McMahon, Vince McMahon's WWF. Bischoff said the only way would be a primetime slot on a weekday night, possibly going up against uh, Monday Night Raw, basically not expecting Turner to go for it. Uh, but Turner did and granted him live hour on TNT every Monday night that overlapped Raw, and they debuted to a solid 2.5 rating. So we get into the opening of the show, and it's the uh, it's the classic Nitro intro that I absolutely love looking back. Uh, it's the, uh, with the street and the explosions and the, uh, uh, you know, that looking like the, uh, the wrestlers are projected on the building. Regardless of what you thought of either show, Nitro, in my opinion, clearly won the intros to start the Monday Night Wars. Oh, no doubt about that. Yeah, they did, didn't they? There was that good riot intro that Raw had, but certainly at this point, the Nitro was streets ahead. Yeah, pun intended there, Rob. Yeah, and then they set the street on fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see the Mall of America from uh, from the exterior, showing the outside, essentially showing off the sheer size of the place. Uh, the fans are packed in uh, in and around the ring, and even on the balconies and escalators, as we, we mentioned, and it just instantly feels like a big event. Uh, we get uh, Bischoff introducing Steve Mongo McMichael, uh, who's very excited and even using uh, using posh words like apropos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mongo puts over WCW's place to showcase top athletes. Uh, we get Bobby Heenan in, and Heenan is just straight away going full Bobby, calling him Mr. McMichaels. But Mongo's got a trump card to play. He's got one of those hand buzzers for when he goes for the handshake with Heenan. <laughs> I got Badlands uh, flashbacks uh, there because um, Bobby Heenan comes in and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I thought Mags was going to say Badland has new merch. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know Steve McMichael's full NFL playing career, but I I know Heenan said at one point he was a fan of Mongo's when he played for Denver. But I do know that... He was in Chicago most of the time, wasn't he? (laughs) Yeah, he was the Bears, yeah, he played for. But yeah, I thought, I mean... Heenan's just, I think it's about a minute and a half into the show and Heenan's already just running it as soon as he walks, as soon as he walks in. Yeah. That's, that's it. Heenan just being Heenan. He said he watched yeah. all Steve Montgomery Michael's games when he played for the Cubs and that's a baseball yeah. team. Baseball, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it sets up sort of quite a nice dynamic immediately with, um, you know, Heenan just being Heenan, Mongo's, you know, not backing down from it and Bischoff's just been like a sneaky little bastard trying to drop Heenan in the shit yeah. so you know say to him what you said last night say to him what you said last night <laughs> giving you that 
Bischoff eventually just comes away from it. Pipes Hogan appearing later in the show, but we throw straight into the uh, into the opener, which is Jushin Thunder Liger versus Brian Pillman. And we've we got a sight of someone though that is on every Nitro, but we never see them. I didn't think he ever got we ever saw him in the entire run of Nitro. Wildcat Willie was in the entrance. Yeah, I didn't see him until later on when I just noted that there was some sort of mascot around. I didn't notice him at the start, but I noticed him. Oh, I made a note of it that there's a there's a point. I think it's before the main event, and yeah. they, they've got high up shot, and you can see Wildcat Willie down just by the edge of the ring and down by the aisle. Yeah, that, I, that's I, when I spotted him. On. Yeah, I didn't see him early doors, so obviously wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Was this on viewing six or seven for you? A uh, four. <laughs> <laughs> it was just. I, I tell you what, I've got it in my notes. It was just after when um, later on when they. And you know, Mean Gene appears in the ring and he does the thing, the winner of the Harley Davidson. Yeah. Just after that, when when I when I spotted uh, Wildcat Willie, yeah, the mascot that didn't last very long. Uh, you're saying it was a fix. They uh, had Wildcat Willie winning the Harley Davidson. <laughs> 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 oh, brilliant. Uh, so we get both guys out to the ring, Liger looking like Liger, and Pillman actually looking a bit, a bit Shawn Michaels-esque. Uh, really, but going into the match, we've said it before, Rob, quoting Steve Austin, uh, a, a shitty lockup's a good way to start a shitty match, but there's none of that from uh, from these guys. They're instantly into just some high octane. I, I could barely keep up with what was going on. Yeah. Uh, I know at some point Liger reverses a whip into the corner and hits like a cartwheel kick. The chops are already out. Brian's reversing everything. Liger's floating over and like running up the ropes and hitting a moonsault press. Did you hear it when... Liger does the reverse surfboard, and uh, Mongo said, uh, Bobby Heenan, you never looked that good when you were surfing, and Bobby Heenan said, I pay people to surf for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I, Mongo, got a, Mongo got another shot in when um, I think Liger just grabbed a rear chin lock after the moonsault press, and, and Mongo just goes, even Bobby the Stain over there has to be impressed by those kind of moods, <laughs> moves. He comes up with various different names to try and insult Heenan, doesn't he? It's almost like, um, I don't know, you know, it's always written down on a piece of paper. Bob, Bobby Heenan. Yeah, he goes through them all, doesn't he? But, um, yeah. but I mean, yeah, I mean, and you think, I think it's about six or seven months after this when Pilman had his um, car accident. Yeah. It's not long. It will have been. No, it's not long at all. And, and you just think that, that I know uh, Bischoff said, I think it was in the, it might be in a Nitro book where he said that he wanted to be, he knew he couldn't compete, so he wanted to be different. And it, it's just literally just, you almost threw the best match out there straight away. Just, mm. just dump it out there and let them two go for it. Shall we? Yeah. yeah. It was it was an ace match as well. Um, I take it we're all on the same page with that. <laughs> it, it's interesting as well, though. Um, Juicing Liger is in rarefied air here because he's the third person we've seen that's been on a first episode of a show. So we had Coco Beware on the first WWF Superstars on the first Raw. Are you trying oh, yeah. to wind me up? <laughs> we had Sa- <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew you'd appreciate that. I was wanting to get Coco in somehow. We had uh, Simon Diamond on the AWA Team Series Challenge on the first episode of Raw. Yeah. And we've had Juicin von der Liger on the first episode of All-Stars Wrestling in World of Sport, well, ITV Wrestling. And now... Oh, yeah. well, I, I know another first for Coco as well, as far as shows go. He was the first uh, match on the first uh, WWE show in, in England. Apparently. Yeah, he definitely was. That was um, I was there. That's why I don't like him. 
Now, now which, now which, now which show would that be? Because I don't think you've ever mentioned this before. No, no, it's not about Rome, so don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, it was actually the, their first. I suppose it was eighty nine, October eighty nine, because it was Hogan. Hogan Savage was the main event. It was a rematch from WrestleMania five, and that live show opened with uh, Coco Beware versus Boris Sukov. Two titans of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, there's another first. If you ever need the first episode of another thing, there's there's another one. I was seven months old at that point. Wow. Oh god, that makes me feel old. <laughs> I may have that may have been my my intention. Uh, sorry about that. Just felt, <laughs> yeah, like, just, felt, just felt like being a dick for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, back to the match. There's a couple of other good things. Ligers hitting flipping sentons off the apron. Brian <laughs> Brian Pillman's hitting suicide dives. There's Frankensteiners, power bombs, all sorts. Yeah, so uh, Brian fights out and, uh, and hits a tornado DDT for two. There's then Lager reversing the waist lock into a uh, into a wheelbarrow, but Brian Pillman rolls him up for the three. And I really like this finish because there were more two counts before that, and it was it just made it feel sort of genuinely competitive that Liger just uh, capitalised on an opportunity to beat Pillman rather than. You know, hitting a big move and having him out for the count. I really like that as a finish. Don't know how you guys felt about it. No, I mean, they've always had decent matches, even like you go back to the sort of Super Bowl ones, and I think they all had sort of a similar sort of finish to that. It was never that sort of big move and a, and a, and a pin. I think they was all that sort of, like a yeah. bit of a counter into a roll-up or something like that, which which does make it a bit more, rather than, like you said, rather than just a, a big move and, and somebody's out for the count. It's more of a um, a skill a skill pin rather than a than a heavy move pin. And, and it adds an air of unpredictability to it as well. When you're watching these sort of cruise more cruiserweight type guys doing this style, and you know that the roll up can come from anywhere, it, it puts yeah. you sort of puts you a bit more on onto the edge of your seat. Yeah. So it was a real statement of intent from Nitro. You know that they would often open with this type of match, and it, it distinctly different from what we were seeing in the uh, WWF at the time. Yeah, my, my mind just goes back to that that Lucha Libre tag match that was just so slow and plodding. Yeah, Puero and Spabinetico, wasn't it? Yeah, and they were trying to tell us this is real Lucha Libre, this is real cruiserweight wrestling. Not like that, <laughs> not like that high-paced, exciting stuff on the other channel. <laughs> we go straight into a Sting promo, and uh, he's saying that there's nobody that can walk the aisle like the Stinger when it comes to getting in your face. Nobody that can hook the Scorpion Deathlock better than him, and that's it. It's just very short and sweet, building to the match later on. There's uh, there's an ad break, but no adverts, unfortunately. And then as it comes back, Bischoff throws to Hulk Hogan, uh, well, him, himself interviewing Hulk Hogan earlier in the week. And I did as I often do. I went to great pains to transcribe this promo from Hogan because I haven't got the first clue what he was on about. You know, with little Hulkamaniacs like that, pasta maniacs all around the Mall of America, Big Bubba, you better tighten up that waist on, brother, because the Hulkster slim and trim. I've been eating my pasta mania. And what you gonna do in the Mall of America, brother, when Hulk Hogan Pasta mania and all my pasta maniacs run wild on you. What's he gonna do? All right. Don't hate the player, hate the game. 
Let me tell you something, Cole. You better booker it better. And that noise right there, Dan, means it's time for Steve to booker it better. Oh, no. <laughs> tell you something, Cole. With all these people around this place eating pasta, well, let me tell you something. People like me, Booker T, we don't need pasta. We need protein. And oh my goodness, I get all the protein I need. Forget pasta. People that eat pasta, they just become like Big Bubba. Fat, stinking pieces of you-know-what. And people look at them and say, Oh my goodness, you've put on some weight. Well, let me tell you something, Cole. When you take protein like me, like I've said before, you get a back, a turtle back, a jack back. You got the lats, the rhombides. It flares out. And oh my goodness, people look at you in awe. So let me tell you something, Cole. I cannot wait for this match later on, where I take on this big bubba. And for people to say, Spin-a-rooney, spin-a-rooney, spin-a-rooney time. Because me, Booker T, the five-time WCW champion, all I need is protein. Now, can you dig that, sucker? <laughs> For God's sake. Well, that went, about, that went about as well as I expected it to. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hate the player. Hate the game. Let me tell you something, Cole. You better booker it better. And that noise right there means it's time for Booker T to uh, book a Steve O better. <laughs> Always asking me, Booker T, how'd you come up with that spin a Rooney? Booker baby, time for your favorite Chef Boyardee beef a Rooney. Chef Boyardee beef a Rooney out of sight. Stop that spin a Rooney mess and get in this kitchen. Yep, if it wasn't for great taste of Chef Boyardee beef a Rooney. The Spinneroonie would have never been born. Everybody loves the great taste of Chef Boyardee Beefaroni. And that's Beefaroni, not Beefaroonie. Tell me you didn't just say that. It's one of those things I wouldn't believe <laughs> that really existed. I used to love those Chef Boyardee adverts. Oh, God, I've completely forgotten about the Beefaroonie one. That is, that is amazing. Oh, what a double whammy. Bloody hell. But yeah, we've, we've got Hulk Hogan at, at Pasta Mania in the, uh, in the Mall of America, and they just talk, he, he just ends up talking utter shit. Bischoff's saying that Michael Jordan's got his restaurant in Chicago. Uh, Coach Don Shore of the Miami Dolphins has got a steakhouse. But WCW's own world heavyweight champion, Hulk Hogan, he's got Pasta Mania in the Mall of America. And he asks him about facing Big Bubba in the main event. And Hogan, <laughs> it starts so well for him. Hogan says, who's the greatest wrestler in the world to the uh, the various kids that are about? And he gets a very half-hearted Hulk Hogan, but that it just did not go well at all. But it's, it's <laughs> silly to offer offer children an open-ended question. Yeah. So is it, what he should have said was, you mean, almost enabled him to have just a yes answer. So am I going to beat Big Bubba or am I the world champ? You mean, yeah. And everybody says, yeah. They don't have to think about going, Oh, are we going to call you Hogan? Are we going to call you Hulk Hogan? <laughs> I mean, they had no option but to just go, uh, that's it. Now, I think he did it twice during that interview as well. That's what I yeah, he did. Yeah. And, and they was just we, silent we, and totally silent. It was quite funny. We, we once went to NGW in Keefley and um, at the interval they said, Zach Gibson's uh, broken his finger so he can't be in the main event so who would you like to see in the main event and a kid at ringside <laughs> shouted Rey Mysterio 
<laughs> yeah, he's sat in the back at Keithley, just hoping he's going to get his chance. <laughs> <laughs> he probably forgot his mask. He probably wouldn't have been out to wrestle anyway. <laughs> so after, after that great start, then he just starts rambling on about Pastamania and Hulkamaniacs and Hulkaroos, which sounds gross, and Hulkus, which sounds like an insult, and Pastamaniacs and just utter bollocks. At one point he says, at one point he says, with, with all these Pastamaniacs carrying the WCW shirts as opposed to wearing them, he's going to give Big Bubba a dose of his Hulkaroos which basically means he's just going to feed him and then he's going to body slam him again. So he's just trying to make, trying to make Big Bubba throw up. Yeah. If only he'd waited until 1999 when Tony Marinara turned up in WCW. <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't good. And then he, he, like, he makes reference to his own physique later on where he said the Hulkster's slim and trim, yeah, because the steroid trial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <So laughs> and tries to address that. He tries. He tries to say it's because he's been eating his pasta mania, and then he tries for his. He tries for his. What you're gonna do, line? He says, but he drags it out so long. He says, what you're gonna do in the Mall of America, brother? When Hulk Hogan, pasta mania, and all my pasta maniacs run wild on you, what you're gonna do? And he's trying to get people out. For the kids are just like, yeah, all right, okay, you you scary weird old man. <laughs> It's just an 80s promo about 10 years too late, and it's like that. Oh, God. It's, yeah. It's, it's still the same. It's still the same thing that he was doing as when he was champion in the WWE. So, yeah, it's that. It's, it's the sign that Hogan's already kind of like over the hill in terms, yeah. of the, in terms of the gimmick. People, even the kids are stopping caring. I'm surprised he didn't poke one of the kids in the eye, rake another one's back and give them the leg drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While force feeding him pasta. Yeah. But it's not the worst thing that's been force fed in WCW. <laughs> Dog food. Oh, no, we're, we're going to get to Shane Douglas force feeding Billy Kidman Viagra. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. But things start to look up uh, for this show. Uh, next, we're, we're getting Ric Flair versus Sting for the United States title, quite rightly called a main event anywhere in the world, uh, especially at this point. And this is the first time in, in a long time of us covering Nitros where I can actually hear Dave Penzer a little bit, which is which was new territory. Sting comes out in a in a fantastic purple, black and gold jacket, like he's uh, the world's poshest can of uh, strongbow dark fruit. <laughs> And then we get the one of the well, the first major moment of the Monday Night Wars, and, uh, and Lex Luger, who just wrestled the match for the WWF the previous evening, uh, walking to ringside. That match that I referenced before in the WWF was his final contractual obligation, and signed with WCW that morning. So it was, uh, you know, regardless of your thoughts on Luger, I personally think he's he was shit. It's it's a huge thing. And you've even got commentary selling it, you know, yelling, what the hell is he doing here and calling for security and all the rest of it. Uh, what did you guys make of, uh, of Luger turning up? He made a classic mistake, turning up in a white yeah. shirt when they were going to give him as much pasta mania as he could eat. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I wrote down. You can see he obviously hadn't been to pasta mania yet because that was one shiny piece. I mean, talk about using Daz on that shirt. That was a, a bright white shirt, wasn't it? I, I, <laughs> he invented Perth with Surf. 
Yeah. <laughs> do, do, do you think he'd gone to Pastamania but seen all those people outside and thought, I'm not going <laughs> yeah, for that no, queue? Not going there. Not going to go there. Let's, <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. I'll wait till it's open tomorrow or whatever. But yeah, I mean, that, I mean, it is a good moment. Unfortunately for Lex, yeah, his in ring stuff never sort of lived up to. I suppose his appearance did it, didn't it? It did it. No. It, it. It was something that he was. He was. Yeah, he was never great on the mic either. Um, but he had that sort of look. I suppose if you think about it, if he'd probably been a few years earlier, maybe late eighties in the WWF, he probably would have suited just fine. But mm. he just I, never. There's always something missing for poor Lex. I said it on here before. If you catch Lex on a good day, which is extremely rare, he, he can be all right and he can cut yeah. a decent promo. It's it's just that you're getting him out of him. You're getting a decent performance or promo out of him maybe ten percent of the time. Yeah, and it's just not worth it. If you could, you know, if you only had him on once every ten weeks and he was at his best, it'd look it'd look a million dollars. But it's just the ninety percent that lets him down. Unless you're paying him to come out and flex, he does enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. Which is essentially why Vince McMahon signed him to the WBF. But, you know, if only people sh- had wanted to watch that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did he get injured straight away, or was it at the end of that, just before he, his WWF run? Because he got oh, injured, didn't he? Sure. And I think that's sort of what, I think that threw a sort of spanner in the works for him, as far as, because I think that's why they signed him, wasn't it? To, to sort of be a bit of a face for the WBF and then. Mm then transitioning but I think he picked up some sort of injury and that sort of stopped him being the sort of face at the WBF and obviously the steroid trial didn't help either just yeah. to say <laughs> you'd have thought the Ico Pro would have made him impervious to injury yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got, I've got one main thought on this match uh, Flair versus Sting but I want to hear what you guys uh, think of it first before I go into, uh, into my main thought uh, Chris what do you reckon I mean, it's it's, it's a flair sting match, and it's exactly what you you're gonna get. But it just seemed. I think it was like they put that on. I, I don't even. Do you know what? To be honest, it's there was a point in the match that it seemed like it went. There was a bit that went wrong. I don't know if you mm. know, remember when Flair kind of whipped Sting into the ropes. Sting was almost facing the wrong way. Then had to turn around for Flair to cross body block him and for both to fall out of the ring. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't know whether that was a mistake or whether they was meaning to do that. But it did seem a bit of um, a strange one. But it, it almost seemed like they was just, um, I don't know. It's, it's a bit late. You, you think of their stuff in eighty nine, ninety. They were their best matches now in ninety five. I think it's 95, 94, 95. Yeah. It's beginning just to seem like they're just, they can do it just like that in their sleep, but it's not, there's nothing sort of special or original about it anymore. It's been mm-hmm. done a hundred times. Yeah, I can understand that. Uh, Rob, what did you reckon to it? I agree with what you're saying there, Chris. You know, there's quite, you know, quite a few of the Sting rivalries and they had that whole tournament like Starcade 89, didn't they, to uh, crown the face of the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, and we are a little bit beyond there. But the, the soft pass I'll give it is that, you know, this is television rather than the pay-per-view. Yeah. And I think, mm. for, for it was, I think it was a very good match for television. And I don't think Raw were necessarily giving the same calibre of matches away on television at this point. No. 
So I think it, for me, it gets bonus points for that, you know, putting it in the, in the sort of 95 television landscape rather than, yeah, you're right. There's definitely better matches we can point yeah. to, but I did watch it at the time and, you know, watched it again now and sort of quite happy with it in the context that it, that it sits in. Yeah. And I think it sort of got added to by, and we'll come on to it in a minute, what happened sort of at the end of the match. Yeah. Mm. You know, and you get yeah. Arn Anderson coming out, but then at the end of the match, you get the, the next big reveal of the new person in WCW. So um, for me, the whole, no, no, <laughs> no pun included package felt good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, as, as, as a storyline, as a storyline device, it was, it was good. As a match, it was perfectly serviceable. It was a good TV match. It was, it wasn't a great Flair versus Sting match. But it was a good match still. But my main takeaway was just how many military presses did Sting want to do? Yeah. Oh, he loved it, didn't he? It's like when you play the game and you only know one move. He got, <laughs> he, he, Sting hit five military presses in this match. The first three were in the ring. I think the fourth was out on the floor onto the, onto the, uh, the barrier. And then he hit the fifth and got a two count. Yeah, it just it, it just made it just made me laugh. I don't know why, it did, but I just sort of like really focused on that because Flair's doing all his usual stuff, you know, begging off, hitting the eye poke, and then you know they're going into a few bits and and all the rest of it. But it just, it just seemed to be military press after military press after military press. Like like you say, Rob, like they didn't didn't know what else to do. Again, I'll give it a little bit of a pass because they looked so effortless. Oh yeah, you know, they and, looked brilliant, and, and I think that's you know. The, the the typical wrestler in today's environment is maybe a bit smaller than the typical wrestler was in in ninety five. There's no maybe about it. Well, you know, <laughs> definitely, you know. So, you know, the, these physical feats of strength aren't uh, sort of as widespread on the modern on the modern products. But just, mm. I mean, it looked like it looked like nothing to Sting. It was very that. much. It was very much as soon as Flair was charging in. Sting was just yeah. saying, right, up you go again, fucker. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it wasn't like Sting was, you know, the big body guy. It wasn't like it was, you know, 2000 Scott Steiner or something that was doing it. It, mm. it was a guy who, look, who looked, albeit in the land of the giants, looked relatively normal doing it. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to say about the military presses, really, because, like I say, it was a perfectly serviceable match. Um, and then sort of towards the latter stages, we get, uh, we get Arn Anderson out. And there's a lot of speculation of, uh, of Arn and Flair sort of made up. Is Arn there to, to fuck Flair over? Is he there to fuck Sting over? Which one's it going to be? And ultimately, uh, it all ends in, uh, in a DQ as Arn hits the ring to rip the figure four off because uh, Flair's been holding it and won't break the hold. Um, but yeah, Arn's in and he's there to fight. Flair, I, loved it. I did love Flair punches Arn and then Arn just drops him. <laughs> just and just takes it essentially a free hit and, and just wallop and he's straight on him just beating the shit out of Flair which as we said before is a great um, we've had a great story point at the start of the match introducing Lex Luger who's obviously a name he's back in WCW he's a top guy he's there to survey the other top guys and then at the end and just reminding everybody I'm not done with the, with Big Flair yet and it's it's one of the things Certainly, as as far as this show goes, so far that um, it had me had me interested. I think I was distracted by his um, shell suit a bit. 
Because <laughs> he literally looked like somebody who was looking for the sports shop as he come down the aisle. I think he was sort of like got a bit lost shopping and he sort of wandered down. The thing with Alan Anderson, you, you can kind of believe that that was what was happening because yeah. he, even when he was in the Horseman and they were giving it, you know, Tully Blanched and Ric Flair were there with the Rolexes and everything, Alan Anderson always felt like the man who was on his way to JD Sports. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good job he wasn't driving past, otherwise he'd have shot out the window. Yeah. It's a bit of a shame that Al Anderson's sort of in-ring careers over relatively soon after the start of the Nitro era. You know, I mean, later on we get the old age outlaws and, okay, we see quite a bit from funk. But in terms of Arndorf and Zabisco and Arne, it, it would have been great if we could have seen more of them during the Nitro years. But it was, you know, just, just a little bit too late to get the best out of them. Yeah, it's a great shame because... Um... I always it might associate Arn with the as a lot of people do with the TV title, but in the Nitro era, I always associate it with uh, William Regal. Yeah, and I just think how great it would have been to sort of melt, you know, mesh those two together, feuding for that title. I think it'd have been absolute TV gold. I'd preferred him to Johnny B. Bad. I'd prefer almost anything to Johnny B. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> Even Matt Marrow. <laughs> <laughs> But at the end of the match, as, uh, as Arne departs, we see another big bastard uh, storming to ringside, and it's, uh, it's Scott Norton. Norton's out yelling at Heenan, demanding an opponent from Bischoff, saying he wants to fight Mongo, and uh, Norton and Mongo go nose to nose. Then uh, Randy Savage comes out, gets in Norton's face, asking if he's good enough as an opponent, wants to do it right now, but uh, Bischoff puts the kibosh on it, calling for security, and has uh, Scott Norton ejected as... Macho does a bit of a loony routine and poses in the ring. Now, I'm going to have to ask you for some, for some help here, guys, because I found the next segment virtually unwatchable. Well, I was just going to say about this Scott Norton segment, I liked that they didn't just let them, them brawl. It felt very much like WCW was a land where you couldn't just ask for a match, you know, that you mm. had to get it signed yeah. off by... The executive committee and if you wanted a match it certainly wouldn't be this week or, and possibly not even next week you know they'd have to be yeah a, agreement to have it um and put in place rather than just turn up again that felt very different from the kind of presentation that wwe have these days yeah um you talk about sports-based presentation nowadays um having to have the fight signed off at an appropriate time slot is is very much you know what happens in boxing and i'm assuming ufc as well because we've yeah. at the time of recording we've seen it today if after weeks of negotiation and, and wrangling and, and purse bids and all sorts they finally signed off on uh, on dillian white to fight tyson fury and you know that's taken weeks so yeah I, I, it's not something i thought of rob but when you put it like that i absolutely do appreciate it yeah i mean how often do you watch a show now and it's like, oh well, yeah, I want to, I want to match now, and I'm going to fight them, and it's it's that sort of instant thing. There's no, there's no build up anymore. Like like you were saying, with that Norton comes in straight in, I want I want a match, and they're like, well, no, you can have to wait at least till next week, maybe a couple of weeks, and it, and it, then yeah. you've got a reason to watch next week. There's, there's no point in him marching in now having a match because he's. It's particularly if he's going to fight Savage, probably wasn't going to go over over Savage. 
instantly mm. in a match. And then, and then where'd you go with it? You just you've whipped him in, and you just beat him in his first match, and, and he's only been there two minutes. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Um, but yeah, for the for the next um, for the next bit, I do need your guys' help because this uh, this sort of promo hype video for Sabu, I just found unwatchable because the terrible effect over it just it made it look it, it made it look like one of my migraine auras, and the, I couldn't this, I just couldn't watch it. It should have come with an epilepsy warning. Definitely, I could see this making people seriously ill. The, the only thing is, it might have looked better on an old TV. I don't I don't know if it's the modern TVs that make this look even worse. But it was horrific. I felt like I was looking through one lens of 3D glasses. <laughs> I, I don't know what they were thinking, you know, because they, they put a lot of production behind it. It's not as if this was something that somebody just put together, but... It, it made me feel sick. Yeah. It, it, like I say, it, it looked like the migraine aura, and I, I immediately yeah. associate that with having to chuck my guts up. <laughs> It was, it was almost like somebody put that package together and then somebody went, we need to have some sort of blurry effect on it and they just stuck it on afterwards. Or there was a mistake when they was recording it, I don't know. <laughs> it looked like something that the reception children in my school had done. Somebody spilled a drink over the film. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they went, oh, I'll just leave it now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Peacock have an axe to grind against Sabu when they've just made his Somebody <laughs> yeah, already with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, after that god awful thing for Sabu, uh, we get Gene Oakland in the ring and he welcomes us back and he says he, for some reason, he said I could have bought 10 acres of land on this site in 1953, but he didn't because he was only eight. Yeah, well, yeah but he, he, says for, he says for 17 grand, you know, which, yeah. you know, he, even in 1995, well, even today, you know, who, who's got 17 grand lying around? But, you know, more so in 1995, but, it, well, happy times because I got to go on the US inflation calculator to work out how much it was. <laughs> it's 180 grand. I mean, you know, it's it, it's not cheap. That's probably probably half his contract that year, mean James, wasn't it? Yeah, but he wasn't <laughs> earning that in 1953. <laughs> well, <laughs> and not when he was, what was it, eight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if gorgeous George had turned it down in 53, then he's probably kicking himself. But <laughs> mean James wasn't on those wages. <laughs> Yeah, but Gene's just there to tell us that uh, Mike Hill of Coleman, Alabama, has won a Harley Davidson, yeah. a brand new Harley '95 Harley Davidson Softail in the Harley Davidson Sweepstake. I wonder which if it's real. I kind of hope so, but that's a like lot. Of, that's a lot to be given away on your first episode. Yeah. Anyway, um, Bischoff uh, promises more news and hypes WCW Saturday night, and this is the point that I noticed noticed the mascot in the crowd. We've, next up, we've got another vignette that thankfully didn't look uh, like a migraine and made me feel like I was going to puke. Uh, we've got Michael Wall Street, who's uh, taking a cue from uh, from his old mate Ted with the dollar sign on his jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing says big city trader like being stored in a high school locker room. <laughs> Being stood in a high school locker room in a smoking jacket with a dollar sign on it, yeah. it, it screams something, but it's not um, its not millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that episode of Friends when Joey was pretending to have a Ferrari, so he was wearing all the Ferrari merchandise and oh, yeah. set, up, set up cardboard boxes with a tarpaulin over the top <laughs> to make it look like he had a Ferrari. <laughs> not, to, not to get too nerdy about it, but it was a Porsche. What's it? Yeah, because he, he gets all. I remember. I remember that episode quite well. Because uh, 
my, my uncle had it on video and uh, he used to let me borrow his friend's videos. And it was, he all, Joey always got racked off in that episode because he's saying, if people would say Porsche, and he'd go, no, it's Porsche. Porsche. Like, it, it, it's, not, it's not even your car. <laughs> yeah, there ain't even a car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, boxes. <laughs> you should have just been watching the Tank Abbott episode on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't have that one on video. But yeah, we get uh, Michael Wall Street coming out and uh, saying that people have talked and talked about the new generation. But the new generation is nothing more than the few generation, which I thought was a nice nod to what was going on on the other channel without being too on the nose, um, saying that he wants to compete with the likes of Hogan and Savage, Sting and Vader. And now you can add Mr. Wall Street to the list. (laughs) (laughs) At a house show near you, because he ain't doing it on television. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And he drops another line and he said, I'm sure the IRS is going to be watching me, which, you know, well done, Michael. Referring to your old gimmick. But actually, to be fair to him, it wasn't a bad promo. I quite liked it. IRS, Mike Rotunda, Michael Wall Street, has always struck me as sort of a competent but underwhelming wrestler. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. This was by far the best promo I've ever seen him cut, to be honest. Because before it was, uh, the only thing I've ever seen of him is walking to the ring as IRS calling everybody tax cheats. And that's about it. Yeah, I mean, even his promos when he was, um, I suppose back in 89 when he was sort of TV champion, NWA, the, the promos were quite sort of flat when he was for Rick Steiner and um, Kevin Sullivan and things like that. So, yeah, he, he was never, wasn't blessed with um, charisma, unfortunately. Yeah. Competent but unremarkable, as you say. And all he needed to do was bow leave and he would have been able to achieve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just needed to embrace, you know, embrace his inner wrestler and just, you know, just let him in and... And just do it, you know. <laughs> or, you know, just go live in a swamp and found a cult. I don't know. Uh, but with that, we're going into the uh, into the main event, which is Hulk Hogan versus Big Bubba Rogers. Big Bubba comes out and he looks far too dapper for a guy about to fight. I feel sorry for Big Bubba. I mean, the amount of gimmicks he went through in WCW to, to not get anywhere, you know. Like the Guardian Angel. <laughs> yeah. And, and unlike Michael Wall Street, Big Bubba is actually more than a competent wrestler. <laughs> It's actually, I, I really like Big Bubba as, as in all in all his incarnations, and as you know, and as the boss man, I thought he was, I thought he was pretty good. I'm not like Paul Tolly levels of uh, of obsessed with the guy, but he's certainly good. I think he was one that I didn't realise how probably how good he was or competent in the ring until sort of later on, like as I got older. I yeah. mean, watched him as the boss man. I mean, he he certainly could fly around the ring and take all the bumps but then I think as you, you get older and you see some more you see some of the, the stuff again you just realise how quick he I mean for a big man I mean he could run those ropes really good I mean he and yeah I think it's probably one of the better probably one of the, probably the top few big men yeah I, I could go along with that and was a great sort of foil for, for Hogan in WWF and then in WCW we all know Hogan likes to bring his friends with him. He, he, he likes to wrestle people that he knows what he's going to get from, what, what, he, what he's going to get out of them. So, yeah, yeah, I, would, I think I sort of appreciate him a bit more in, in my later years, I suppose. 
yeah, he's certainly someone I've grown to appreciate more as I've gotten older. I'm a bit the other way around. I mean, I, I always thought it was great because, you know, I was introduced to Blue Shirt, Cobb County, Georgia, Big Boss Man. Mm. And then everything I've seen since has just been not quite as good. Because, I mean, he was flying around the ring um, in the early days as Big Boss Man. He was just so agile. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose that's the difference. I was sort of very much, my, my earliest memory of him is 97. Yeah. around about 97, 98, boss man. Yeah. And then I've, I've sort of watched everything going back as I've got older and, you know, as the network's come yeah. out. So, yeah, I can I can see how you got it that way. Um, I'm sort of essentially watching his career in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we had Hogan out to, uh, and in credit to Hogan, well, I say credit to Hogan, credit to the companies that employ me. He's always had really good entrance music, whether it's uh, WWF or WCW. Yeah. I do like American Made. I, I actually prefer that to Real American. I know that's a hot take, but... Yeah. I don't know. There's just something about Real American for some reason. If that, like, if I've got my if I've got my music on shuffle and Real American comes on, I know I can get home three times quicker just by walking to the, just by walking to the beat of it. <laughs> so I can turn it off and get home and put Real American on and uh, put American <laughs> Made on. <laughs> I, I mean, to, to be fair, Hogan's best WCW fame was uh, Jimi Hendrix's Voodoo Child. But. Yeah, but um, yeah. So Hogan's coming out, and uh, Jimmy Hart comes out. That's uh, he's wearing a frigging <laughs> US, He's wearing an, an old glory suit that makes Cody Rhodes's most recent entrance gear look subdued. And I thought the, it was Apollo Creed out of Rocky IV. I was surprised he wasn't shouting, "I want you to Big Bubba." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then Hogan, he's just, it was just looking at Hogan with just the level of, of permatand he was, his skin looked like a dodgy old leather sofa. Yeah. Talking about tan, did you see last week's Dynamite? No. Adam Cole was a normal colour apart from his hands, which were like, he must have like just dipped them in fake tan. Oh, no. oh God. Oh, dear. Oh, Adam, it's, Adam, Adam. He probably looked like he's Neil in the Inbetweeners film, isn't it? Have you ever seen yeah. that? Yeah. He just does his face, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I put my fake tan on already. But this is essentially a Hogan match. He does a lot of stuff that is essentially heel offence that people, for some reason, cheer. At one point, he's choking uh, choking Big Bug with Jimmy Hart's jacket while Hart distracts the referee. And the worst part about that was is that they were trying to justify it as fighting fire with fire. I'm not sure Big Bubba had, had actually cheated up to that point. <laughs> He's the biggest heel in the industry, isn't he? I mean, I don't know how he's got away with people thinking his face. Is it, you know, the, this whole thing about the cool heel sort of thing. Did did Hogan invent that? Because he cheated his socks off all the way through the golden era at this point. And then when he's Hollywood, he's probably wrestling cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's wearing black and he's wearing sunglasses indoors and he's spray painting people, so he's got to be a bad guy. Yeah, he's got the uh, Groucho Marx grease paint on for, for the beard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah. But um, this match was... <laughs> I, I enjoyed Big Bubba's bits and the stuff he did. One thing that stood out to me as well was that Big Bubba was actually taller than Hogan, which I don't know why I just didn't expect him to be. And I've I watched this show a few times and just never realised it before. But there you go. I don't know if you guys had any uh, any more thoughts before I just quickly run down the finish, uh, Chris. 
it is the typical Hogan match and, and, and the whole sort of rule-breaking bit where Jimmy Hart's up on the, the apron, isn't he? And the referee's standing on the ropes and Hogan's choked him out with a shirt. It's like, or sorry, the jacket. It's just like, yeah. It's, a, it, it, it's the Hogan match and I think I never... I think at that point, once once Hogan switched over to WCW, I think I kind of started... I, I think that's why I did, I'd never seen this the first Nitro episode. I think I started to lose interest once he moved over to WCW because you could see it was then going back to a to, almost to a WWF product of the, I suppose the, the the late eighties when Hogan was champ there, and it was kind of not what I liked when I first started when I first sort of discovered I suppose NWA as it was then in '89. I didn't yeah. mind that NWA WCW looked like it was I don't know just like like quite a cheap product. Because it was the in-ring stuff that I enjoyed, do you know, Flair, Steamboat, those sort of things. That was that was it. I didn't care that it wasn't a sort of like the sort of the the, the sort of flashing lights. If you if you know what I mean, I quite enjoyed yeah. watching a, a WCW show with two thousand people there. The, the sort of crowd numbers never bothered me. It was always, mm. I suppose, first of all, was the ring stuff, and then it was sort of going towards, I suppose, the. the like not the comedy side, but almost like the the sort of circus performance one. Once Hogan came over, I thought, and I, and that sort of made me lose a little bit of interest. Even though you still had your your sting, your flares, and and that sort of thing, I, I think I started to lose a little bit of interest. And obviously, about eight months later, and NWO started to roll back around. I think then maybe I noticed again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but something something less cartoony that that you could get your teeth into because. As we well, we'll get into the end of the show. Just how cartoonish it was uh, at this point. No, I can understand where you're coming from there. I always find it really interesting though, because you know, to, to hear yourself and Cy Powell, etc., talk about watching, you know, NWA, WCW, because Yorkshire was the only ITV region that didn't pick up WCW. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, so we didn't get it. And and literally in in my village, there was a lad who lived at the top of the hill. Who could get it, but everyone else in the valley couldn't, sort of thing. <laughs> so occasionally we'd get like, you know, be around at his house or get tapes from him or, or whatever. But, you know, I mean, that was sort of, it certainly wasn't every week, sort of thing. So I missed a great sort of swathe of that. And then my first real constant exposure to WCW is, is when they came on TNN. Oh, it was Turner Classic Movies, wasn't it, that they're on in the UK? Yeah. Um, you know, when they came on Sky. So a lot of people, I didn't come to this with the same preconceptions of everyone else. So to me, it was like, oh, wow, I'm getting WCW and it's a different yeah. presentation. Whereas you were probably more, you know, that rebooted this thing that I like. Whereas I was like coming to it with a with a clean slate almost. Yeah. I mean, those first original episodes I used to see of um, WCW, or I suppose it was still almost still NWA then, was um, they used to show worldwide at about two o'clock in the morning of a early hours of Tuesday morning at like one or two o'clock in the and it was just it was just squash matches. It was like Sid just absolutely massacring people and the Steiners just taking liberties with people. But it was I'd either sit up or I'd record it and then watch it the next day. And that was it. It was just an hour of, of squash matches. That was it. And and they're obviously promoting something coming up and you might have maybe a TV title match or something. But it was just watching. You you just hope that the skyscrapers would be on there, or Doom, or the Steiners, <laughs> just to watch them. Just pick up some poor enhancement bloke. I think um, 
and Gary Michael Capetta put um, a clip up on Twitter today of of Sid just absolutely annihilating some guy. I mean, poor small guy, helicopter spin, the lot, clotheslined his head off, literally turned him all the way around. And you just think, yeah, that's what I used to watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that, because my, my only exposure to WCW when I was a kid, apart from getting the odd, you know, wrestling magazine or something like that, was the um, the syndicated show that used to run on uh, Channel 5. Oh, yeah, so a bit later on, yeah. Yeah, late uh, late 90s, probably. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the first tour they did here was um, was abysmal. I mean, for numbers, for number wise, I think I think they was doing it at the um, London Olympia here, mm. and they had three nights. And we went to the first night, and don't get me wrong, they had brought over. I think that one was uh, Lex was there, uh, both the Steiners, even though they never tagged, they never tagged together, but they was both there. Uh, Sting was there, a, a few others, and. Um, but you think you're trying to build a fan base off of a show that you show at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Of squash matches. And they literally, we attended the first night and they said, anybody who wants to come tomorrow, buy one ticket, you get free free. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, think, I think I think yeah. I heard you tell that story, yeah. Yeah, and there was four of us. So we just went and bought another one. So we bought the next nights. And then the next night, same thing happened again. So we went, we went three nights on the spin just to see different incarnations of, of people so it's, it's good because you get to see the product but as as far as them trying to sort of break in to the uk i suppose trying to sort of copy wwf mm. it was never going to work like that because you never yeah. had a prime time slot i mean even though wwf was predominantly on sky you've still got a lot more viewers than you have showing just a one hour squash set of squash matches at two o'clock in the morning yeah me, me and you did done all three nights weren't we wrong <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It depends what the first night was like. It was like NXT UK. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're, we're, we're going to have enjoyed it. <laughs> we're we're going to have to do. We're going to have to cover those NXT UK shows one day. Uh, I'm still trying to convince Beth. I've I've always said we should do PCW weekenders. Yeah, <laughs> but she doesn't. She doesn't count Preston as a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> You sound like me trying to convince my kids to go to Millwall away games. Yeah. <laughs> trip to Preston this weekend? No? All right, then. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. Preston's pretty dismal. <laughs> I went many moons ago. But anyway, the finish of this match comes. Uh, Bubba, Big Bubba hits a side slam as Hogan charges in. He gets the two count. And I don't know if anybody listening has ever seen this before, but out of nowhere, Hulk Hogan just seems to not feel pain. Yeah, he does that in every it. match. It's like <laughs> every fucking match. <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell if the sarcasm was a bit lost on you there, Rob. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just the thing of watching one Hogan match, you've seen them all. Yeah. You know, and the worst thing is he gives you some hope that he's going to get beaten. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I'd say, though, you know when he's hulking up and he's, he's doing the whole, like, exaggerated blowing thing where he's like, he's, you know, he's, making a, almost a gurning face. I want to enter that in a gurning competition <laughs> just to see where he plays. <laughs> but, yeah, shock horror, Hogan must pose, and he is the champion. There's a whip, there's a boot, there's a leg drop, and the, the, human, the humanoid morons cheer for their false idol. To be fair to WCW, I mean, how many times have we watched one of these 
first episodes of whichever promotion or you know um, new programming they have for that promotion where they haven't had the champion on. Mm. And yeah. at least they have the champion on. You know, we were saying, why on earth didn't they have Larry Zabisco on the AWA Team Series Challenge? You know, but Hogan's here. Got to give him that. Yeah, well, he's there for probably about seventy-five percent of the gate. So, yeah, <laughs> and that includes every person that walks into the Mall of America. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly rolled out, I suppose, in a way, the best that they had. Mm. I mean, you, you opened with Pillman Liger, which which obviously is you know the best of your cruiserweights you've got. Sting and you stick Sting and um, Flair, and you, you're not going to go wrong. And then you do you do, and you end the show with a world champ. So, I suppose apart from slipping in a tag match, maybe somewhere along the line, but yeah. you've only got an hour show. So you, you I mean, I remember that the the the, the Pillman Liger match only went six minutes. It didn't feel like it went six minutes. It felt like a longer, like it felt like a good maybe 10, yeah. 11 minute match because of what was crammed into it. But it only went six minutes. Yeah, and it, it was one of those rare matches that felt longer than it was, but in a good yeah. way. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. It didn't outstay its welcome. The, the crammed a lot in, but it never felt rushed. Yeah, um, yeah it, it was it was perfectly balanced, that match. And then as well in the show, you know, they've debuted Luger. They've furthered the storyline with Flair and Arn. They've got a couple of vignettes for upcoming talent. Yeah. They crammed a hell of a lot into this hour. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's an an hour of of wrestling that you would watch easily. I mean, until until yeah, <laughs> <laughs> until yeah. until the very end, because yeah. it's it's now that you realise there's still a good portion of the show left to go, and they could have given Brian Pillman and Justin Liger an extra few minutes yeah. because you get Kevin Sullivan, the Zodiac, and Kamala out. Hulk Hogan twats them all one at a time, then the shark comes out, yep. Luger comes out to help clear the, clear the ring, and then they do the whole back into each other and turn, and, you know, the fists are caught ready to smack each other. Uh, they have a bit of a gob at each other. Sting and Savage are out to de-escalate it. Hogan seems to be telling Luger to fuck off back to WWF. Um, <laughs> and it was, I'll give him props again, we mentioned him before, the guys over at Nitro Nights said that this felt like they were playing for, for time, and it was exactly what it was. Yeah. We get a break. Um, even the coming next screen took forever. Um, but we get a promo for Fall Brawl, and, and they're raising money for a, a muscular dystrophy charity, yeah. which was yeah. nice. Very nice. Um, but then that we get... The best advert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. We cut back, and Mean Gene's in the ring. And essentially, everybody takes 100 words to say what could be said in five. Yeah. Luby gives us an, an essay on why he's here for the title. Interrupts Hogan when he's trying to start talking, and he's giving it with all the you know the Luger's beating everybody's Hulk's beating etc etc, and then Luger says one of the worst sounding things I've ever heard. He says, "I'm sick of playing around with kids. Kids, yeah. <laughs> I'm here. I'm I'm here to play with the big boys." Yep. Yeah. Didn't go well that one. He thought that sounded tough. Yeah. <laughs> And then he takes about 50 more words to say that he wants his title shot. Hogan says that he won't, you know, that he'll stay a champion. And he, so he gives Luger his due. And uh, he says, when you come in WCW and get in Hogan's face, which just made me laugh because ha-ha, jeez. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think I was a bit bored at this point. And then Hogan spends a little bit of time praising Luger. 
And all he's saying is shake my hand and make it happen, but he says, stick out your stinking palm. And he was just praising him. Hogan does not know how to be first. No. It's almost like he's a dickhead in real life and, and acting like a good person is unnatural to him. Because then once they did the handshake, he then pushed him. <laughs> yeah. Hogan then shoves him and then Luger responds with probably one of the worst shoves in history. I mean, he literally just manages to get his fingertips on Hogan and that's it. <laughs> Oh, it was a hell of a way to shit the bed at the end of an otherwise really good show. Uh, and then it kept going because they went back to commentary afterwards. Yeah. You know, there was a couple of times they could have just ended this show and it would have been a lot better, but they kept ploughing on. The annoying thing is, it, it, that means there's two options. And I'd rather it be the first one I'm going to say. The first option is they, they messed up with the formatting and they underran which they'd be one of the very few wrestling shows in history to ever underrun. Or somebody actually thought this was this would be good. Well, who was booking the show? Who was it, Rob? It was Kevin Sullivan, so there's no wonder he wants to uh, wheel out the Dungeon of Doom for... Uh... <laughs> yeah, but it could, it could have ended with, it could have ended with, like you say, with Hogan and Luger you know, going nose to nose and Sting and Savage trying to de-escalate. The very last line of the show is Mungo telling Pepe the dog with his devil ears on that he can't be a Dungeon of Doom fan anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I was quite yeah. happy to see Pepe. I did see um, Steve-O and Mags were having a conversation about the Dungeon of Doom earlier, and Steve-O said that he'd uh, never seen the Dungeon of Doom, so I just entered the conversation and said, you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I tried yeah. to encourage Steve-O to go watch it, but Mags, uh, Mags called me out for being a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I mean, when they hit the ring, they, to me, they looked like they was just going to the World Starts Championships. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, I'm sure I've seen you guys somewhere before. I think it might have been in the Alexandra Palace. Do you know what I mean? They, they come out and it's just like, oh, here we go. Yeah. yeah. Oh, don't, don't mention Ali Pali. It, it, it sets me off. Well, I just don't like it. No, I love it. I went, um, oh, fine, I'll tell the story again. Me and my brother went for the uh, the 2011 uh, World Final, uh, World Darts Final, and it was the one where it was Adrian Lewis versus Gary Anderson, and uh, I, I think Adrian Lewis hit the nine data. Yeah. The only nine data ever thrown in a world in a World Final. World Final, yeah. I was at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, my exact, my exact, because me and our kid had been drinking for. A little bit before, well, pretty much for the full day beforehand. Um, so, we're, you know, we'd already had half a skinful. And my exact words to him were, I'm just going to go for a piss and get the beers in, nothing ever. And he said, oh, are you sure? Do you want me to come with you? I says, yeah, it's fine, kid. Nothing ever happens in the I first set. Much. Yeah, <laughs> nothing ever happens in the first set. So I went for a piss and I'm there. They've got the four pint holders. So I've got four pints in each hand. And I hear a big cheer and I think, oh, it must be, must be first 180 because I didn't think I'd been gone long. And I sit down and I said, now then, kid, did I miss anything? He says, yeah, you missed a nine doubt. I'm like, yeah, yeah, fuck off, did I? And, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. I don't blame you for... I once knocked a drink over a woman who was in a fancy dress outfit, but that's about as far as I go. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I said drink, it was actually one of the jugs. And she wasn't happy. Not her junk, I mean. I mean, junk drink. <laughs> let, 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 me, let me correct that right now. It was, it was, my, it, my, my daughter listens to this. It was, it was a picture of beer. Yeah, yeah, picture. That's the word I should have used, yeah. yeah. She wasn't that impressed and I was pissed, so I didn't really care. I wouldn't be impressed either at the waste of beer. 
It's not a bit, so I don't know why I said the um. <laughs> no, I won't say that. <laughs> I'm just oh, with with uh, Dan's story that he came back from the bar with two oh, crates of four pints each and you didn't get anything for Cam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thing is, my brother has started listening to these episodes. He, he called me up the other night to uh, to give me a bollocking because on one of the episodes of, uh, of season one, I said that I was the best brother because I was born first. Um, and I, I would ask him for backup and say that he did in fact get four of those pints, but I know for a fact he'd lie <laughs> just to, just to, just to make me look bad. <laughs> I've been wrestling with you, and you've come back with six Budweisers, and uh, they were all for yourself. <laughs> Yeah, I was. I was. I was. I was a lot drunk. Worst thing is, I spilled four of them. Oh my god! The worst. The worst thing I ever saw with somebody spinning a drink was um, I was at the Anthony Joshua, Charles Martin when uh, Joshua won the title, and we was up at the O2. And I'm not joking. We got there sort of early. I like my boxing, so I want to see most of the fights. Mm. There's a guy who's sitting in front of me already. He's unconscious. <laughs> so now, now we're talking, what, seven o'clock? Maybe? Yeah. He's unconscious. The guy remains unconscious as the arena fills up. People are squeezing past him in his row. He's with a couple of friends who had just left him. He's just sitting there, hunched over. Just before the main fights, before the main event starts, a man and a woman in the same row go to squeeze past. She goes to squeeze past. She trips on him. She's carrying two beers. She goes forward, hits this guy from behind who doesn't know what's coming. The drinks go all the way down the back of his white shirt. <laughs> a little domino effect. This guy now has woken up. He doesn't realise why he's got some irate husband just abusing him. He's, he's like, and the bloke's going, you don't know what you've done. And he's literally sitting there, semi-conscious, going, no, I don't. I don't. And literally the, the, the fight starts, and this man is still having... He's literally going mad at this poor guy who's just been unconscious for three hours. Yeah. And, and then another couple of guys sitting next to us, a couple of young Scottish guys, they take exception to the guy having a go at him. So they offer him to a fight once the fight's finished outside. And yeah, yeah, so good night. Okay, <laughs> <Fucking> now. <hell. laughs> I, um, I went to Anthony Joshua uh, versus Joseph Parker at Lenium Stadium. Yeah. And we had the uh, we had the opposite we had a kind of opposite problem because the guys there were th- three or four guys next to me and my mate in our row just before he got to the aisle, and they had they made no secret that they had been on it for about two days. In, <laughs> in, in the in, in the guy who sat next to me, his own words were, "I've been going pint line, pint line, pint line for two days. I don't know. I'm going to look after the grandkids tomorrow." Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they were just getting progressively more smashed. They were sparking up cigs in the, you know, in the stands. There was no stewards about to, to tell them not to, and nobody wanted to argue with the, co- you know, argue with the cokeheads. <laughs> they ended up snorting lines off the bald one's head. <laughs> but on the on the undercard, uh, it was Povetkin versus Price. Um, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if you remember that yeah. fight. Povetkin yeah. scored a brutal knockout. Yeah. But there were a bunch of Povetkin fans in the rows behind behind us, a bunch of Russian lads. They started giving the Russian lads aggro. Oh, that's not the best move. And they, I'm not kidding you, they all looked hard as fuck. I bet. Like they just looked like nasty bastards. And it's just like, the only time I turned around was to go, 
just sort of make it clear that we're not with them. <laughs> I'll happily look the other way and what'll happen will happen. Just don't punch me in the back of the head. Don't involve me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when it became abundantly clear that the Russians were sober and terrifying, even the coke had settled down. Yeah, I mean, Millwall have even got a branch of Russian supporters, which is slightly worrying for me. <laughs> I don't know how how we ended up with them. It's the pawn shop for violence. Yeah, oh, yeah, mate. Well, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Russians are quite violent, I suppose, yeah. No, I meant Millwall fans. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> he knew that's what you meant. It was trying to deflect. <laughs> Yeah, no, I just wanted to make it abundantly clear. I've, I've, I've seen Green Street. I know what it's all about. Yeah, so that's the end of the show. Yeah. It were all right, wasn't it? But we'll get into that after. Yeah, so it's time for an ad break. So, I mean, well, the whole show was basically an advertisement for the Mall of America. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I'll give them credit, though. They did have some... Uh, some I didn't mention it in sort of our breakdown of the uh, the show, really, but they did have some decent, uh, decent camera angles. To sort of show off the venue and, yeah. and all that. Yeah, they did, yeah. They really made the most of the venue. And um, I mean, you mentioned about the possibility of the Mall of America being open for the possibility of AEW running there. I think that would have been that'd be brilliant if another promotion went in there. It's a really good look, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. The, the lighting as well. You know, when they had the WCW projections up onto the balconies and, and the spotlights and all of that, it, yeah, it, it looked fantastic. It's really definitely eye-catching. I don't know if you know this, but at the time when they actually used the, the Mall of America, it was the largest mall in America at that time. Not really. Yeah. Fair enough. Did a little bit of homework. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Another thing that was kind of eye-catching, there was a guy in the front row, and I don't know if this is a, a call to uh, some future business that's going to be um, being done, but uh, whenever they were on the hard cam, seemed right in the middle, a guy would stand up with a Kiss T-shirt on. And we know the relationship WCW are going to have with Kiss going forward. So, yeah, that was uh, that was Dale Torborg. Yeah, I mean Bobby Heenan was mentioning Bloomingdale's and Macy's during the uh, Pillman um, Juicing Liger match. So, but I think he's calling them out there. We we got a very subtle advert for Pastamania. <laughs> yes, that, uh, that that long live, still running to this day, fast food franchise. Yeah. Yeah, get get yourself down to Pastamania right now. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in 1995 and listening to this time travelling. Yeah. Oh, God, imagine if you uh, built a time machine but could only go back to Pastamania. <laughs> <laughs> They're obviously Harley-Davidson, because they had the sweepstakes to win a Harley-Davidson. Yeah, not a bad time. Yeah. And there was the Muscular Dystrophy Association uh, as well, which was yeah. a nice tie-in that WCW nice had. Yeah, you can't fault, you never fault a, a charity tie. No, and then we got the advert for Fall Brawl War Games. Yeah, I would say you can't go wrong with a War Games match, but I've uh, I've seen this particular War Games match and heard uh, sign Danny the rundown on uh, on Nitro Nights, and it, it wasn't the best one. No, it certainly wasn't. <laughs> Before I go and chat, as we've had for the show, I've gone into another beer. I've gone into May Contain Brambles, which is a Beer 52 exclusive by one of our favourites, Fierce Brewery at 5%. Yeah, not a bad beer. I think I've had that one. It sounds familiar. 
And yeah, as I recall, it was rather nice. Uh, I'm on to the, uh, the brew tune, uh, the Out of the Woods uh, Black Forest Gatto Stout, which isn't half bad. Finished off the uh, the Red Eye Stout, um, which was fine, a bit thin, but not the worst thing I've ever drank. Cool. In terms of showers that we've had for the show, Danny at Scottish Juggler pointed out that Nova from ECW was Simon Dean in the World Wrestling Federation. And that blew my mind. I'd never even made the connection. Didn't I mention that on the show? I don't know. I was drinking down. Well, that wasn't when I edited it, so I clearly wasn't listening. You're just just tuning me out. (laughs) Well, you know, it's the opinion of someone I respect. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Graham at MGB Graham said that I was I was drinking Marmite ale despite not liking Marmite and uh, put a question in GIF on there. You got you got you got to drink them all. Got to drink them all. I quite liked it though. I mean, I don't like Marmite, but I did like that. So, yeah, whatever works works really. It does. Although from his Good Cop Bad Cop podcast. Twitter, he did um, ask us what our favourite kind of soup was, and uh, on the board it said Soup of the Day Tenants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my favourite my soup is a Bloody Mary. So funny, though, because uh, you and me, Dan, um, went up to ICW Fear and Loving with uh, Beth and Mel, and then a couple of weeks later, me, Beth and Mel went to World of Sport in Blackpool. Yeah. Uh, we did a bit of a pub crawl and went into a pub, and they had tenants. Uh, and Beth was like, oh, big tea, because we'd just been in Glasgow. And the barman goes, oh, do you know what tenants tastes like? And she was like, well, yeah. And, and oh, I wouldn't drink that then. <laughs> so we, were just, we were just drinking that in Glasgow the week before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if they put something else on the tap or whatever. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, it, it wasn't tenants, whatever it was. So, Dan, you had mentioned about the possibility of us reviewing the upcoming ITV2 sitcom Deep Heat, which is about wrestling, and Duke Loves Wrestling at uh, D Loves Wrestling said to uh, tag us in when we do that. So I don't don't think he's interested in the rest of it, but he's well invested. (laughs) (laughs) Just in that show. Deep Heat, yeah. Well, well, I'm really glad that I found that, to be fair, Um, because I didn't know it was coming up, but ITV2, from the bits I've seen, the, the... Doing okay with sitcoms at the minute. One in particular from the last couple of years was that I found hysterical was uh, it was a zombie apocalypse sitcom called Zomboat, and it's about a couple of it's about a couple of people surviving a zombie apocalypse in Birmingham on a canal boat. Fair enough, sounds logical. Are there more canals in Birmingham than there are in Venice? Sounds about right, but I, I know where I'd rather be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're probably not as clean. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it's definitely not Birmingham. <laughs> not as picturesque. Steve O posted his bloopers from uh, Buckering Better via my hands uh, coming to Raw from the first Raw that we reviewed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Steve O does it. I don't know how he eventually eventually gets it out. Lee Conway at LDCon seventy one said that it was great to uh, be on the show with us to review the last episode of ECW Hardcore TV. Yeah, it was great to have Leon. Uh, even better to have him on back-to-back, and we'll be getting him back soon, probably for more ECW. And we'll we'll need to do a crossover with him and Tack and maybe get the rest of the boys that I was in that cult with as well. Yeah. Andy at Bam Bam Podcast 
tagged us into a tweet where Terry Taylor had had the theme to mind had dubbed over his entrance on Raw. <laughs> it's the only time I've, I've ever felt anything other than dislike for Terry Taylor. Yeah, and we've got to give big props to King's Bladders at uh, Pig Bladders who'd uh, created that, so thank you for that. Yeah, top work. Good, good work. Well, Graham's had a few here. He was saying that it felt like a, um, a Viz tip. If you need to remember something in two months, just tag in UTT podcast and we'll read it out. Yeah, <laughs> why not? I'd actually, I'd actually be up for that. It'd be, it'd be an interesting experiment. Mags at Podfather Mags said that it was um, what the world was waiting for, Nigeria and Kettering, with our review of HCW, and he said that uh, Tack and uh, Rob knocked it out of the park and Dan was there too. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take all I did. All I, all I did in that HCW episode was sulk, despite the fact I was the one who suggested it, and, and laugh at burps. <laughs> and Tack said that was like it'd been made by someone who'd been given a vague description of what wrestling was, but not bothered to watch any. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's um, it's shit. <laughs> yeah, the broadcast podcast at the broadcast sent a tweet out saying that people should um, check out UTT podcast. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, thank you. You should also check out the broadcast. Should indeed. Yeah. And Danny at Scottish Juggalo said that listening to UTT podcast was an absolute scream and he wants to see if we can find a promotion that will make Dan angrier than HCW did. <laughs> I don't think it's possible. Maybe, Actually, maybe Global Force Wrestling. Because they put Global Force on challenge, didn't they? I, I, I don't think it was too bad. But there was a lot of Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, you don't like Jeff Jarrett. Um, yeah, well, have oh, I know we're gonna have to, and we're gonna have to get Sarah or Lauren on, preferably Lauren because she'll hate it. We'll, we'll watch Wrestlelicious. Okay, I've never watched that. Oh my god, that's an experience. <laughs> Wrestlelicious. Oh, Wrestlelicious, baby! You can tell that Jimmy Hart made the theme tune. <laughs> it was, a guy won the lottery. Hey, Alan, Jimmy, Jimmy Hart wrote the, wrote the lyrics to American Made. Yeah, but um, it Wrestlelicious, uh, a guy won the lottery in America and decided that um, he'd employ Jimmy Hart to uh, help him make an all-women's wrestling promotion. I bet he did. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Jesus. That, oh, God. I mean, we're going we're gonna to cover it. But it, when you put it like that, it just sounds like we're going to be covering one man's wank fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. Jesus. <laughs> I don't want to, but we've got to. That bombshell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that bombshell of dread and, and semen, I don't know. <laughs> so I guess we'd best get to the awards then, haven't we? So first up is the award for match of the night. Uh, Chris, who would you give your match of the night to? I think it's a no-brainer. I think it's got to be Pillman Liger. Yep, I completely think, get that. I think for a six-minute match, it's just it's just great from start to finish. And it's a it's a, a, a Liger Pillman match, that, and you know you, what you're going to get. But 
for a new show to start off, that they picked the right match, certainly. Yeah, I'd say so. Well, I, I've already given Juicing Funderliger a match of the night for a, a first episode of something with uh, Fuji Amada versus Wildman John Wilkie. So I'm going to go with the unexpected, almost pay-per-view quality, but at least it's on TV, um, Flair Sting. Fair enough. Yeah, I can understand that. I'm going to go with uh, with Chris's choice. I'm going Liger versus uh, Brian Pillman because I just absolutely loved it. And weirdly, I've just drawn a parallel, a parallel in my head to, between that match and uh, Rambo Last Blood, which I don't know if you've ever seen Last Blood. It's obviously the most recent Rambo movie. You know what you're going to get from a Rambo movie. It's going to be mindless action and you'll enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. But also, the Rambo movie is about 70 minutes which is weirdly short, but it crams so much action in. And that's exactly what Liger and Pillman did. Yeah. So next up is the MVP of the night. Chris, who is your MVP? Oh, I suppose I'm going to have to go Luger. Yeah. I think think because it kind of, the the show, I won't say it revolved around him, because obviously there was Pestamania. But um, (laughs) the fact that he sort of came out early, then came out and ended the show as well. And then the whole main event for the next show was Luger versus uh, Hogan, which was actually described as the match of the century. If you ever watched the next episode, <laughs> <laughs> they said oh, they've got the match gosh. of the century coming up, which was Luger Hogan, which, yeah, okay. But yeah, I'll, I'll go Lex. Fair enough. Uh, Rob, who's your MVP? I'm going for Sting. Again, this is probably biased to the fact that. Um, Yorkshire didn't get WCW. I'd seen pretty much everyone else somewhere else. You know, I'd, I'd seen uh, Liger in World of Sport. I'd seen Flair and Hogan and Big Bubba um, and Luger in WWF. So, you know, Sting, you know, stands out as, you know, the franchise player of WCW and someone that, you know, makes you want to watch the shows. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I'm going in a slightly different direction with my MVP. I'm giving mine to Steve Mongo McMichael uh, for his first, well, as far as I'm aware, it's his first televised commentary yep. gig, and he held his own on commentary, and he gave as good as he got from Heenan. I like Mongo. I know I'm in, in a minority with that. I don't even mind his wrestling career, but I really liked him being on commentary because he felt, being a Super Bowl winner and you know a, a famous sportsman of notes he felt like he gave nitro an air of legitimacy yeah Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i think we said it on the first season of utt he's got that elite elite athlete credential yeah yeah so yeah completely understood completely get that uh next up is moment of the night chris what was your moment of the night oh (laughs) i think i've always loved heenan i think heenan's just like i could just I don't have to watch a wrestling show if he's talking on it. So I mm. think the fact that he was able just to sort of, sort of obviously knowing um, Mongo's background, that he played for Chicago, when he sort of comes out and says, you mean, I loved watching you when you played for Denver. That just done it for me. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was brilliant. Because, and then as, as you said earlier on as well, he, he then went and dropped in the Cubs as well. And I just think things like that, I just, I, I, could, I can listen to Heenan all day long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. I more than get that. He's, he's fantastic. Uh, Rob, what's your moment of the night and why is it in the Dungeon of Doom coming out? <laughs> no, I've gone for Scott Norton's debut. I mean, I've watched this show oh. loads and loads and 
I'd forgotten about Scott Norton's debut, which probably isn't a good sign, but it surprised me. And I thought it had a, a you know, real intensity behind it. And it adds to that sort of bingeability factor of why you want to watch next week. Yeah. I, I'm not mm. really bothered about how it plays out with Hogan and the Dungeon of Doom and stuff, you know, a little bit, you know, okay, what, what's Lex going to do? But the whole Scott Norton Savage thing is a reason to tune in for the next couple of weeks to see how that's going to play out. So. I thought that did his job. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I'll be honest, not one that I considered, but um, I get it when you when you put it like that. I can't can't argue. My moment of the night is quite simply the the biggest moment on the show for me in, in the historical context and for what it meant for the industry and WWE's business practices going forward. And that's Luger uh, making history by appearing on the show the day after he wrestled his last match for WWF. On the back of this, on the back of Nash and Hall. That's when they started introducing 90-day no-compete clauses and, and things like that. And it's the first major crossover of, you know, Raw and Nitro going head-to-head. So it'd be, it'd be remiss if uh, if one of us didn't put forward uh, Luger as, <laughs> as moment of the night. I think it just becomes a little bit of a cliche, doesn't it, with this episode, you know? Yeah. Because you know it's happening. Um, it, 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 it does. It's so talked about, you know, so... You know, when when we went to watch it, we all knew it was coming up. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I get that. But sometimes, like a lot of the times, when you see, particularly with modern day booking, and they say, "Well, that was that was obvious." Sometimes the obvious answer isn't the wrong one. No, no, I'm I'm not yeah. saying I'm not saying it's the wrong answer. I'm I'm just saying. Oh no, but you know, it, it, I, I I guess to a certain extent because I'd forgotten about it, this got not thing had a bit of a shock factor for me. Oh yeah, yeah, I completely get it. They're all. Uh, I know nothing's uh, nothing's invalid on this show. And nobody's trying to invalidate another choice, but I uh, I went for the low hanging fruit. So fuck you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you went for the lazy option here. Yeah. Um, so next up, we actually get to do a sign of the night. Uh, Chris, what was your sign of the night? Do you know what? For me, I mean, obviously you can't. You seriously can't choose the bloke holding up. WCW where the big boys play. So there was actually two for me. And they was mm. he was banging the front row. And um let me just get the exact wording on it. Uh what did they say now? They said Hogan's a wimp. Yeah. <laughs> and Hogan sucks, I think it was. And it was right yeah. next to each other. And they was literally the only signs I noticed all night except where the big boys play. And I thought, no, I like those Hogan ones. So yeah, Fair I enough. think um yeah, I think they was they was my favourites. Yeah, good shout. Uh, Rob, what was yours? Uh, well, Bobby Heenan for Prez in 96. Oh, I missed that one. Because I, I think that would have helped the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it's been a long time since I've done this, and I'm very excited. I'll give a quick rundown of the ones I spotted. Uh, first up was where the big boys play, as Chris mentioned. That was the first prominent sign. The, when Flair came out, there was a group of people who had woo written out across six or seven people. Yep. Uh, there was a sign that said, one word says it all, flair. There was an, an Iowa loves WCW sign, which I thought was quite nice. And then you've got the Hogan sucks and Hogan is a wimp. Now, Hogan is a wimp comes in second for me, but the winner is the guy in the crowd who had a sign that said, I wish flair was my dad. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm pretty sure he was stood next to his actual dad. <laughs> well, I mean, to be Flair, to, to be Flair, Flair got around. <laughs> yeah, he could be. Yeah, he might well be. Yeah. yeah. 
finally for the awards, we've got the most important award, the René Goulet Award for most... In- How have I fucked this up? The René Goulet... The Re- I've been doing this for weeks and finally cocked it up. Uh, the René Goulet Award for Outstanding Haircut of the Night. Uh, Chris, who gets your René, Glu- uh, René Goulet? It, it, I mean, there's just so many on the show. I thought this was quite a tough one because you've got the sort of the Luger mane of hair. You've got mm. even Pillman has got that nice hair. But I fancied something a bit more shorter and clean cut. So I'm actually going to go for a man I know who loves his hair. Is um, is Mr. Bischoff? Fair enough. We had yeah. a very nice quaffered sort of hair there. Never didn't move. I liked it. And definitely, definitely, definitely an all-natural colour. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. He was graying in the AWA, and then he comes to WCW and he's got jet black hair. <laughs> See, I didn't know any of that though. So when he came to WWF, uh, WWE, and they sort of revealed that he that he dyed his hair, I was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rob, who gets your Rene Goulet? Well, he left WWF. And he came to WCW, but in the middle, he went to the hairdressers and because he looked like he just stepped out of a salon. It's Lex Luger. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, he probably went to one in the Mall of America, probably. He should, he should have actually been there pre, uh, pre-recording just to uh, just to show his face for the crowd, but he, uh, he wandered in three hours after being in the chair for three hours. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's one of those speedy cut six pounds for gents, uh, eight pounds for women. <laughs> For my Rene Goulet, I've gone for a, uh, a very high-class mullet, a haircut that was obviously very expensive. Uh, it's, uh, it's Michael Wall Street. Oh, yeah. Because so, it was a mullet, and you can't really go wrong. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's the awards uh, over and done with. There are some strong contenders in every category, I think. So all that's left to do, uh, well, I say all that. I do this about. I do this in every outro. I say all that's left to do about three times. So <laughs> next up, Chris, uh, what would you rate the show out of ten? I think when you look at it being an hour show, what they got into it, I think was was a lot, and it was was of good quality. I'm probably going to go for an eight. I think. Mm. Yeah, solid rating. Yeah, I, think, I can I get it. Yeah, I think it's a good show, and it was the, and, the, and their first night show that was that was live and to compete with with Raw. I think it was a it was a good start for them. It set out what they were sort of hoping to achieve with that sort of you want to watch next week, see what happens. Mm. Yeah, I get that. Uh, Rob, what would you rate out of ten? This episode gave me vibes of another show that we reviewed that Brian Pillman was on. I think it was. One that um, Cornet and Russo had written, and the first sort of thirty-five minutes of it was excellent, and then Billy Gunn turned up, killed the show, and <laughs> they, they, they just didn't know when to end it, and and it, and it felt <laughs> this episode was exactly the same. You know, yeah. if it had ended five ten minutes early, it would have been so much better. So a, a very good episode, but it's only going. I'm only going to give it a seven because it just the end killed it. With all the shenanigans, yeah, I'm, I'm in a similar boat. Um, it was a really enjoyable show up until, essentially, up until the Hogan match onwards. So you, you're looking at the last sort of ten minutes or so, maybe fifteen. The in-ring stuff was, well, very good for two matches and a Hogan match for the uh, <laughs> for the third one. Uh, but it still sort of comes out at a seven for me. The promos were solid enough. 
uh, slightly above average, so gave that a six. I really couldn't fault much with the production apart from uh, the effects on the on the Sabu vignette. Um, and I could actually hear Dave Penzer a bit, so that was a step up. So I've actually given the production a nine. Um, you know, the setting was unique, the intro was great, commentary good, lighting was spot on. All that. Uh, the story elements were decent. It was, this is maybe a harsh criticism because it's the first show, but it, it was um, a little bit siloed by the crossover, by the crossover of um, Scott Norton coming out as Anne Anderson was leaving. So, but the story, was, like I said, it was solid. It was above average, so that's a six. And the uh, the crowd were decent as well. You know, they were about, uh, I'd say they were about a six or a seven, but it all results in me giving it the uh, the same rating as Rob, which is a seven out of ten. And but it would have been an eight or a nine with a better main event and without the bullshit time wasting at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're very much on the same page. Now, this is going to surprise you because we've given it a seven, seven and an eight. So between us, an average of 7.33. Mm-hmm. And the community vote on cage match has given this show an average of 7.33. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> oh man! No, nobody will believe that we didn't plan that. <laughs> <laughs> well, a broken cage match is right twice a day, isn't it? You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair play for the in this one instance, cage match actually know what they're on about. I, w- I wonder if only three people reviewed it on cage match as well. Was it us? Yeah. <laughs> Quite possible. I'll, I'll go and have a look because uh, some of the early um, Nitros and Raws have quite a few votes. You know, when we were getting to the end of WCW, there were, um, you know, it was like just just a handful sort of thing. It's had 72 votes. Oh, okay. It's funny, though, because the ratings sort of gone downhill over time. So it started out with a really high average. Yeah. It, it dipped to its lowest at um, 6.5 in um, 2015 and it sort of climbed up a little bit back to um, the 7.33 now. But yeah, it was well, average nines and tens before that. You know, you know what'll be happening? It'll be it'll be these you know these smarky bastard wrestling fans who start a podcast and think they know it all about wrestling and. <laughs> <laughs> it was Hogan who voted for the early tens, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Hogan, and, Hogan and his burner accounts <laughs> in the dungeon of doom. Yeah, I guess to a certain extent, though, you know, maybe some people are voting on how they felt about it. And yeah. when this came out, I was really excited about you know Nitro's here. It's a, it's an alternative to the World Wrestling Federation. You know, it's something I'm I'm going to watch next week. So I, I was really all on board with WCW at this point. The episode itself wasn't perfect, but the concept of having an alternative to watch and some of the stuff I saw on it, like, you know, seeing Liger Pillman, that kind of thing, you know, really excited me. So I was 10 out of 10 on the idea of Nitro, mm. but maybe not 10 out of 10 on the actual episode. Yeah. Yeah. No, that could be it. Who knows? Yeah, I can't really speculate any more than that, to be honest. It's a, it's a fair point. Um, obviously, I, I was just looking back on it, knowing what happened to Nitro and coming out of it, coming out, coming at it with as uh, as unbiased a mind as possible the first time I watched it. So, but yeah, that may be it. So I've, I've enjoyed uh, I've enjoyed talking about that though. Like I say, it's a, it's a show I've watched a few times now. We're obviously not three times in quick su- uh, succession like you did, Chris. You absolute <laughs> hero for doing that. But uh, well, thank you very. I think the first time I watched it was obviously after we decided to do it, and then I left it a while, 
Um, and mm. I'm glad I did because, I, as silly as it sounds, when I watched the, the first time I watched Pillman and Liger, I watched it and I thought it just didn't seem like up to that sort of, sort of the, the Super Bowl matches that I had obviously all seen first. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So the Super Bowl one matches and things like that. And then and when I watched it a second time, I sort of thought, hang on, no, this, this is still a good match. It's just shorter and they've just got everything in in a short match. And um, yeah, so I'm glad I actually changed my tune and watched it a few times. <laughs> yeah, well, as, 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 as you probably... Do you know what, Pillman Liger? Shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you've, as you've probably heard a few times on here, I've been, uh, when I've, I've rated something off one viewing initially, and then as I've talked about it, I've been talked around to both a higher and a lower rating before now. So. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. Uh, but uh, but thank you for coming on, mate. It's been great to chat to you. Thanks for having us. And uh, I suppose that now this is actually the only thing left to do uh, is to let people know where they can find you if indeed you want to be found on social media. Yeah, they can find me on Twitter at um, Chris one um, I believe there is a Millwall Chris, but um, that's not me. But um, yeah, Millwall Chris one, and that's it. Really. That's it. If you want to, if you want to read my tweets about wrestling, Coco Beware, Coco Beware, dogs, <laughs> football, battle royals in the Royal Albert Hall, post office scandal. That's about it. That's all I'm, I'm into. <laughs> Fair enough, uh, Rob. Where can people find you? You can find me at UTT Rob. It's more about the mutuals than it is about the followers. So I'm absolutely more than happy to follow back. On the same channel that you're listening to this, you can also find On Booking the Tankatory, where we follow the ups and downs of the in ring career of Tank Abbott. And if you follow at UTT Tank, which is the Twitter handle for that, you'll also find some hashtag tank facts. <laughs> Among the hashtag tank facts, you'll get such. Um, and as, as uh, many people think Tank Abbott was named after the Armoured Assault Vehicle, the Armoured Assault Vehicle was named after Tank Abbott. That is 100% true. Tank Abbott doesn't sleep, he waits. <laughs> and all word records have an asterisk next to them, and the asterisk is excluding Tank Abbott. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're just a few of the classics. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. Uh, you can also listen to myself and Rob on the uh, the pay-per-view reviews on That 90s Wrestling podcast playlist on Primetime Conversations' YouTube channel. So give that a, a like, share and subscribe. And then you can also find me on the Doctor Who podcast with uh, Cy Powell, where we're looking at uh, one episode of Old Who, one episode of New Who, uh, and seeing what lands for, about, for either of us there. And we're on Twitter at the Doctor Who pod, which is the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D. The other thing that you can check out on our, on our podcast feed is the One Man Meat podcast, where uh, Danny and Chris Bellis are absolutely knocking out of the park, going uh, through the forgotten storylines and the oddities of wrestling, so it's absolutely worth checking out. So next week... We're going to go on to our first foreign language uh, wrestling promotion. We are, yes. We're covering uh, the Welsh wrestling promotion, Wrestler. Yeah, and we're going to record it around St. David's Day and probably release it around Christmas next year. (laughs) (laughs) Would we do it any other way? 
No, it's going to be our closest recording to St. David's Day, but uh, when we release it, <laughs> nowhere near. But I've got some Welsh beers lined up for that recording. And yeah, we're very much looking forward to this because this was World of Sport went away. There was only one televised British wrestling promotion that survived up until 1995, and that was Wrestlow. So we're going to have a lot of fun going back to have a look at uh, what happened there. Yeah, and I can't wait because it's all Welsh commentary, and it's going to be like me watching uh, watching the early recordings of New Japan World. I'll enjoy the in-ring action, and won't have a fucking clue what's going on. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Oh, what? what in the hell is he doing here? Get the camera Who? off of him! Why, look! Get him out of here! Get the camera what off of him! What is this? Oh, wait a minute, he's got a right to be aware. This is a pu- public mall. Get him out of here! Somebody call the security guards. What? Get the security and get him out of here. What's this he is doing wrong? What is he doing wrong? This is just unabashed arrogance. Wait a minute. I think we've got a major problem here. We have a situation starting here. Yeah. A big one. I want to know what he's doing here. Well, don't ask me. Get on the headset, sit in the truck, ask somebody. Well, I will during the commercial break. You want to get my assistant on it? Right now, we have got the United States Heavyweight Champion.